This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label and then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. 
So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show active duty firefighter and former MMA champion Eddie Wineland. So we discuss a host of topics from his journey into martial arts, almost losing his brother in a house fire, the fighter's mindset, firefighter fitness, mental health, sleep, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback. I do love reading your feedback and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of over 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Eddie Wineland. Enjoy. Well, Eddie, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, absolutely. So where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Uh, I am actually in my house, uh, in my Four Seasons room. As you can see, it's kind of rusticy. We got our, our fish mounts. There's more to become. But uh, as the boys as the boys decide to reel in some big fish, we, uh, we're getting them mounted. But it's kind of a rustic room, just in the back room of our house. Brilliant. Well, I would have to start at the very beginning because I know you weren't born in Indiana. So right. tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the way my parents met and where I was born is kind of a kind of a funny story, I guess. Uh, I was born in Harris County, Texas, Houston. And um, my parents, they actually met on the way down to Houston. So my dad was down to Houston or on his way down to Houston with a buddy of his and my mom with a girlfriend of hers. And my, my dad and my mom didn't know each other uh, at that point, obviously, but uh, they actually passed each other on the highway. And uh, my dad who knew the girl that was with my mom saw them and, and started pointing out to my buddy, you need to pass them, need to pass them. So they go blowing by this car that has my mom and, and a mutual friend in the car. And uh, as they pass this car, <laughs> my dad's got his ass hanging out the window. <laughs> so she was struck, so, struck by his brown eye. <laughs> <laughs> struck by the brown eye. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, that, that would be uh, probably the first time my, my mom ever saw my dad was with his ass hanging out the, the car window going down an interstate headed to Houston. Um, so I, I believe they pulled over at some point. Hey, what are you doing? We're going to Houston. Well, what do you know? Us too. So um, I, I think the rest is all kind of history. Beautiful. That's, a, that's an interesting love at first sight 
story. <laughs> it was the wrong end. <laughs> right. <laughs> or the right end. I don't know. Who knows? Depends <laughs> on what you're into, I guess. So what about profession? At that time, or as they started progressing through their adult life, what were they doing career-wise? Uh, my dad, he was he was just, he, that's what he was going down there for, was going down there for work. Um, I think he was doing trailer repair at the time or construction. I mean, he, he kind of kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, you know, and then, and then, uh, my mom, I'm not a hundred percent certain what she was doing. Um, I think they were just going down to Houston to have a good time, <laughs> you know, back, back in the, uh, the seventies, late seventies, uh, you know, as, as they like to do, they like to party, they like to drink, they like to just have a good time. So, um, I think they were just down there having a good time and looking for work. Now, Wineland, the name, what is the kind of um, Europe, European descent, if anything? Um, Wineland, I believe, is is German. So I got German and Irish. Uh, my mom's on my mom's side was Galbraith. So my mom is actually Weinkauf and Galbraith. And then uh, um, on my father's side is Wineland and Brooks. So there's some there's some German, there's some Irish. Um, I actually had one of those 23 and me's and, but because I've been struck in the head so many times, I can't exactly remember what it was, but I know I had, uh, like basically Cro-Magnum <laughs> gene in my, <laughs> in my, they said it was like 2% of 2% of the population has a Cro-Magnum caveman gene. And, and, uh, I just so happened to have it. Um, so you're related to Clay Guida as well then. <laughs> exactly. There you go. There, there, there's a reason, there's a reason we do what we do and why we're so dumb. It's just, Ooh, smash. Uh. <laughs> yeah so um yeah there there was like like eastern european there, there was all kinds of different stuff in there and then i don't know how accurate that stuff is but i i know wineland wine cough there's german there there's irish with galbraith and all the other stuff now what about in your extended family are there fi fighters or are there also first responders or firefighters in any of your lineage so um like like it's somewhere um but but it, it's been known that none of us were we're gonna back down from a fight all right well speaking of combat arts then walk me through your journey into wrestling and or any other martial arts at the school age sure yeah so i, I started wrestling at six and uh it kind of started because well just like any other parent does, we're, we're, we're going to bounce our kid around, you know, okay, let's play basketball. Okay. Let's play soccer. Okay. Let's try, let's try T-ball. Okay. Let's try this. Let's try that. I didn't like the balls, the ball and stick sports. You know, I, not that I wasn't good at them, but it just, it didn't appeal to me. So I didn't apply myself. I didn't really like it that much. Um, so they put me into wrestling and I, I, I specifically remember, watching like WWF and, and all that stuff back then. So I, I, I specifically remember asking my mom on the way to my first practice, if she thought that, Oh, well, do you think there's going to be tag teams? And I thought it was going to be like, like some WWF stuff. It's like, I mean, I'm going to DDT this guy and blah, 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 blah. And I quickly realized that that wasn't the case. You know, I got my ass handed to me the first couple of times, but once I realized what was going on, that, I, that was my click. You know, that was my click. Let's get in there. Let's rough house. Let's get rowdy. And uh, I, I always, I like to test myself against somebody else, you know? So, so the, all the other, all the other ball sports, they required one. And this one, this one to me required two, you know, you're, you're going in there one-on-one -on -one and it's, it's a combat. We're not, we're not kicking a ball to each other. We're, we're going to see who the tougher guy is here. Um, so I, I kind of gravitated towards, towards that. 
Um, I wasn't very consistent in wrestling from six all the way on, you know, I kind of bounced around here and there. I don't know if it was, if it was, you know, my parents working or maybe I just wasn't as interested. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I kind of off and on from, from six and then about middle school, I picked it up again. So sixth grade, all the way through high school, I wrestled. Um, so that was kind of the extent of it. That was always just kind of my thing. I, I, I didn't like the the ball sports well it's an interesting contrast i played both i did martial arts most of my my life never to the level that you did um but i had that constant humbling i talked about this before where i won national titles in taekwondo and then entered a kickboxing gym and got murdered and then kind of got okay <laughs> at that and then went to yeah. jiu-jitsu and got murdered again i'm like fuck um yeah. so i was definitely a weekend warrior and a punch bag for some very good fighters ian mccall sure. and some of the other people that you probably sure. were around in sure. your your area yeah ian's a great dude yeah no he was uh you know monster in the gym um yes but the you have then you have the team sports as well and it's an interesting kind of mix because when you fight for a yes. team in martial arts yes you are part of a team yes your win matters but as you said you are a hundred percent accountable for your performance on the Absolutely. mat versus you know you might be a very very good player in a team of 11 on the football pitch but you know the dynamic of the rest of the team or maybe you're the weak link you know you can you can let down an entire team that way so i found those two contrasts very interesting that's 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 my take on it and that's why i love it the only one responsible for your victory is you the only one responsible for your loss is you if you lose there is no pointing fingers you know the the, the finger that's being pointed is directly at you because it's on you now are you helping your team to win that match? Yes, because there's team points involved in, at least in wrestling, you know, so, so wrestling, there are team points involved. Your, your win matters, but if you lose, it's on you, you know, no, nobody else out there can, can, we can't pull strings and we're not playing puppet master out there. You know, there's not, there's not any, any other bodies out there to help you. It's, it's one-on-one -on -one there. And I mean, that to me is, that's the ultimate test. And that's the ultimate, I, I just, I, like I said, I've, I've gravitated towards that. I've always wanted to test myself and I, I want to see who the better person is. Well, I think the other side of the, the combat sports is when you lose in football, for example, I'm talking about, you know, real football. Um, I would say, yeah, football <laughs> or soccer. Hold on here. Football with your feet. <laughs> football right okay real real football i understand I understand <laughs> you know you you may your ego might get wounded but that's about it but when you lose in jiu-jitsu when you lose in muay thai it fucking hurts so i think oh, there's absolutely. another you know level of fear in those kind of sports that a lot of you know other sports as amazing as athletes are never understand that the potential of being knocked out or choked unconscious Absolutely. is is a lot more real than you know as you said if your your ultimate goal is to put a, a football in the net it's 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 completely a different breed of people, you know, because you you are willingly going to lock yourself in a cage with you and two other people. One of those persons being a referee, so he's going to do nothing. The other guy, he's trying to take your freaking head off, you know. So so to willingly get in there and and understand, okay, I may split my forehead open, I may break an arm, I I may get knocked unconscious, I could break my nose, I could break my hand, I could bust my jaw, you know. The, the consequences there are real versus getting kicked in the face with a soccer ball. Okay, yeah, it's going to sting, but for how long? You know, a broken jaw is months of pain. You know, you get kicked in the face with a soccer ball. It, it, depending on what level of pussy you are, you could either shake it off or, or you might fall down and, and cry about it. All depends, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting contrast at the moment because I love the UFC, but then I'm watching the World Cup too. 
and you know some of the and this drama it's just to try and you know sell the penalty but it is quite yep. funny that you know a mere touch the yeah touch in the face they're, 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 they're all they are all guilty of it basketball baseball well baseball so much you get hit with a 90 mile an hour fastball i'm sure that hurts uh but you know they're, they're all guilty of it soccer being the biggest one i think yeah but i think they're clamping down there which is good to see there's a lot less of that now it was really bad about yeah. eight years ago <laughs> they wouldn't even get touched in her <laughs> yeah there was a one yep. i forget his name but there's a video creator and it was one guy that got tackled and he i mean this dude rolled i, I mean literally six or seven times it was hilarious but then this guy <laughs> kind of fact. exactly and then he kind of superimposed him going through space and going through the ocean and it was hilarious <laughs> anyway well back to your wrestling um we'll get into obviously the mma evolution but when you were wrestling you, you obviously got to a certain level what was it that was allowing you to be somewhat successful when some of the other kids that you were training alongside maybe weren't so if we're being a hundred percent honest, my, my wrestling career was not successful, was not. Um, and again, I'm the only one to blame because I didn't apply myself, you know, and like any other high school kid, it was just kind of oh, go here. I'm here, but I want to be there, but I want to do this. You know, I, I, I didn't really apply myself as hard as I could. I, I, I still say to this day, if I could go back to high school with the mentality that I have now, it'd be a whole different animal. You know, because the mentality that I have now, obviously, as a, as a 38 year old man is different than a 16 year old kid. You know, as a 16 year old kid, you got different things on your mind. You want you want to hang out with your buddies, you, you know, all kinds of different stuff, uh, different things going on rather than I want to get in there and, and beat people up. You know, I like to test myself, but but I didn't apply myself as much as I should have. Um, truth be told, I never made it out of, I, I don't know how familiar you are with, with high school wrestling, but they go, you have your conference, then you go sectionals, you know? So after conference, everybody makes it to sectionals, but after the sectionals, you have to qualify for regionals. You have to qualify for semi-state. You have to qualify for state. So you have to be within the top, the top like four, I think in your bracket to make it out of each tournament. I never made it out of sectionals. Even as a senior, I never made it out of sectionals. Um, again, didn't apply myself. You know, I, I go, I still to this day, I go back into the room and I wrestle with the kids just because it, it's fun for me. It's fun for me. It's fun for them. You know, obviously my hometown, Chesterton, everybody, oh, Eddie Wineland's in the room. You know, I don't see it like that, but they see it like that. Um, so, so not only is it good for me, it's good for them that, that testing themselves against a professional athlete. You know, to, to, to show them that the mentality that I didn't have, don't don't worry about who's standing in front of you. It doesn't matter who's standing in front of you. Just blow right through them. You know, what whip their ass no matter who it is. That was my biggest thing was my mentality. Being a freshman, they didn't have anybody to fill the smallest spot. So being a freshman, I came in and started wrestling varsity. My eighth grade year, I think I was like 17 and 2 or 17 and 0 with 14 pins. So, of course, I'm going into my freshman year thinking, all right, I'm going to smash these guys. I'm pretty sure my freshman year I got pinned more times than I won my eighth grade year because I'm going in, I, you know, wrestling seniors and, oh, this kid's, this kid's got a, a tattoo. This kid, you know, I, I got in my own head. So the best thing that I can do um, for these kids and my boys is, is to try and set their mentality straight. You know, don't worry about the person standing in front of you. Believe in yourself, believe in what you've done and and just go out there and destroy this dude. You know, if you, if you go out there and you give it 100 percent 
and try absolutely as hard as you can and still come up short, what else are you going to do? There's absolutely nothing you can do other than go back in the room and continue to work. So that that's that's the the biggest thing that I can do is is try to give them that side. Well, it's an interesting perspective. I wrote a book a couple of years ago. One of the chapters, um, I told the story of when I first started testing after the Fire Academy. And these two bright orange bodybuilders were strutting around like, you know, cockerels <laughs> in, in a farmyard. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and I was like, well, <laughs> shit, they must be amazing. And this is my naive, you know, brand new fire recruit eyeballs. And then I watched them proceed to begin this physical test that we were all getting ready to do, which is basically like the combat challenge, pretty much. And both of them tapped out on the third story, carrying the empty hose line. Sure. And I was like, well, shit. And it kind of brought me back to when I used to fight. Sometimes I had already told myself how good that person must be across from me. Because like you said, they've got a granite yep. jaw or tattoos or you know whatever it yep. is. Yep. And that mind game is terrible because you can absolutely win, the, lose the fight, or or maybe be too meek to to step up for a job position because you've told yourself yes. that that lie. So, what has been the evolution of that from that freshman wrestler to you know fighting some of the best MMA fighters on the planet? How did you start dealing with that mental kind of um, imposter syndrome that so many of us suffer from? Right, I, I quickly realized in in, in um size doesn't matter you know i started training and when i first started training it was with keith and justin wisniewski uh at doonland valley tudo um they used to call him the polish connection there were two brothers and and you'd look at them and you wouldn't think nothing of them but boy i <laughs> don't mess with them because they're gonna flip your shit i promise um when I first started training with him, it was, you know, Keith looked at me and he said, you know, if you, if you really get serious about this and you really want to fight, I feel like we can make you one of the best in the world. Yeah. Come on. 18 year old kid from Chesterton. My wrestling sucks. I, I, I like the backyard box and that was about it. You tell me I'm gonna be one of the best fighters in the world. I don't think so. Um, but I quickly realized that, that through the, just the constant, the constant training and, and the, the consistency, you know, again, that's what I'm trying to tell these kids now is that it's consistency, you know, hard work or, or what was it? Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Right. That's the biggest thing. Hard work and consistency being in there. So got a little bit better, learned how to learn how to how to move my body. I, I kind of learned as you learn, you understand that the size really doesn't matter. OK, he's got big muscles. Big deal. You see all the memes now where these this big muscly bodybuilder getting choked out, and it says the 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 moment you realize your max bench press doesn't mean shit. You know that that's a hundred percent my uh, my strength and, and conditioning coach Jason at uh, he's at Applied Strength and Conditioning. He's a two hundred and sixty pound dude, and you know he <laughs> I wrestle around with him and I get on top of him and and he can't move me. You know he, here here's a guy who can pick up six hundred pounds off the ground, but he can't move a hundred and fifty pound guy because. I understand body mechanics and how it works. You know, that, that's just what he said. It's a, it's a very humbling experience to wrestle with a guy that's half your size and realize there's not a damn thing you can do about it. There is nothing you're going to do about it because that small dude there, he understands what he's doing. He's going to fuck you up. You know, there was another dude in the gym that he kept saying, oh, I, I, could, I, could, I could take you, I could beat you. He's another a big dude, 260 pounds. And, uh, 
he got he got to a double underhook on me, and I, I started pushing on his face. I dug my double unders. He tried to pit. Uh, I say tried. He picked me up off the ground. I just got wide. He couldn't put me down. Thirty seconds goes by, and he lets go. He goes, oh, oh, "Okay, so, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, motherfucker. It's my turn now. You couldn't put me down in the first thirty seconds, so I just knee tapped him, put him straight to his butt, and uh, he stood up. He goes, "All right, well, I believe you now. What do you mean you believe me? You you whip my ass." Well, no shit. You know, I, that, that's what I've been trying to tell you, Ross. I will whip your ass. You know, whether you like it or not, I'm going to kick your ass. Um, you know, so so it, it, it's 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 a humbling experience for the big dude. But it, it's also the, the little guys. It's I, I look at these people as a challenge. Can I can I do this? I don't know. I don't know if I can. I think I can, but I'm going to try. You know, I'm either I'm either going to get beat or I'm going to beat them. You know, and, and that's that's the way that's the way I've looked at it is is one of two things is going to happen. And it, it sounds kind of funny. But when you tell somebody one of two things is going to happen, I'm going to win or I'm going to lose. I mean, that, that that's the truth. You know, that that's the truth. I, I, I'm confident that I'm going to win. But the reality that I could lose is there. It's a combat sport. It's one one shot, one shot and you're throttled on the floor. You know, so um just just getting past that that mental hump of seeing the big muscles and all okay well this guy's done this this guy's done that um you know right right early on in my fighting career when when I fought Antonio Banuelos you know I watched a lot of his highlights and it was like man this guy's really good I don't know if I can do this but I'm going to try it you know just go and do it just try you don't know if you don't try Right. When I fought Camposano, I fought Will Camposano and I remember watching him fight Ox Wheeler, the previous his previous fight. And that dude just nonstop from start to finish, 15 minutes. Bah, 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 bah. The output was insane. It says, man, I don't know how I'm going to beat this guy. This guy's in, in amazing shape and I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but just go do it. Just go do it because you don't know. So after the first five minutes, I remember speaking with him afterwards. Great dude, by the way, Will. Um, he, he's a super nice guy. Um, but but after after talking to him, you know, so he said he said I almost didn't come off the stool after the first round because that constant forward pressure, constant forward pressure, constant forward pressure. It's a lot different fighting under pressure, being the one pressured versus the one giving the pressure. You know, when you're when you're giving pressure and the guy's like, shit, I don't know what to do. I just hit him with I hit him with the kitchen sink and he's still coming forward. That drains your gas tank that drains your gas tank and that drains your mentality and that's uh you know the thing i wanted to tell you was every oh well fighting's physical absolutely it's physical uh you know it, it's 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 a physical sport firefighting is a physical thing um all sports are physical but the fight is won mentally you know 90 percent, 90 percent, the fight is mental 10 percent physical at least in my opinion if I can beat you mentally, I know I can beat you physically because you've already beat yourself. You know, how, how hard is it to beat somebody who's already beaten themselves? It's pretty, it's pretty easy. Um, but like I said, just, just realizing that the size doesn't matter. Just go try it. You're not going to know if you don't try. So that, that was the biggest thing for me was, was I'm pretty confident in myself. I don't know 100% that I'm going to make it. But I'm gonna try, because if I don't try, I'm I'm for sure not gonna know. If I do try, well, at least I can say, hey, I I gave it everything. I gave it everything. It didn't work. So at that point, it's either it's either 
rec- uh, get back into the gym and keep working or move on to the next thing. So I want to get into kind of the progression of MMA and then obviously the fire service as well. But before we yeah. do, there was a very pivotal moment that happened to your brother. Obviously, it's very mm-hmm. pertinent seeing as we're both firefighters as well. I think the burn injured, you know, boys and girls, men and women of the world, probably is some of the most horrendous injuries that a human can endure. And then oh, the, the perpetual I would not surgeries. wish that on anybody. Would not wish that on, not on my worst enemy. So if you wouldn't mind, kind of walk me through that day, because I know there was an element of guilt initially from yourself as well, yep. and then we'll kind of Absolutely. walk through from there. Sure. Um, yeah, so so back, what was that? When he got hurt, it was, uh, I wanted to go fishing. So a buddy and me, we were walking, we were walking down the street with our fishing poles, our tackle box, and you know, my dad was coming home from work in his pickup truck and he saw us walking down the street, stopped, obviously. Hey, what are you guys doing while well, we're going fishing right down the road? He goes, I'll jump in the back of the truck. I'll take you. Okay. So we jumped in the back of the truck and he took us to the lake and off fishing we went. And uh, as he left the lake to go back home, he said he was following fire trucks. There were fire trucks they were pulling out because the lake was actually right around the corner from the from the fire department. So as he pulled out of the lake, fire trucks were pulling out and he's following them and he keeps following them. Okay, they're turning left. Oh, okay, I got to go left. Oh, they're turning right. Oh, I got to go right. Okay, they're heading down there. He said, no, wait a minute. They stopped, you know, they stopped at our house. And uh, my brother was supposed to be at the house behind our house. Well, he must have got bored and decided he didn't want to be there no more. And he ended up coming home. And, uh, well, when he came home, he was, he's a motorhead. He was into, into anything with a motor. And, um, he must have tried to fill this bubble lawnmower with some gasoline. And then when the flame from the hot water heater ignited the hot water heater, that gasoline that was on the floor just, you know, and, and he was down in the basement at the time. And, uh, the, the guilt side of it was, Every time my dad would come home from work, my dad would come home from work, he would come running. Dad, dad, you know, like any little kid, you know, oh, dad's home. Well, my thought was if we wouldn't have been, well, I say wouldn't have been going fishing, but if we wouldn't have had him give us a ride, he would have been home in time. Corey would have been upstairs. Even if the house caught on fire, everybody would have been out. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he was 98% of his body, second and third degree burns. Um, my mom said the only reason she heard faint little screams and she heard the screams, she came down the stairs and saw just a wall of fire. You know, she said, she said she saw a wall of fire and she started calling out to him. And she said, all she could see through the flames was just this little black silhouette walking towards her. Um, you know, so, I mean, it gives me goosebumps thinking about what it would be to see that, you know, to see your own child walking through a wall of flames, um, that, <laughs> yeah, that's it, just, that's a tough one. I, I, I don't know. It happened for a reason. What the reason is, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss of words on that one. And he was so, two, two and a half when this happened. He was, he was two and a half, yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, I mean, that is such a catastrophic injury. I've had, you know, I had a dude walk out of a house fire on fire. Bizarre, yeah. bizarre story because anatomically he should have been 
toast absolutely and then he was talking to us and we're like this sure. doesn't make any sense his, his airways yeah. all burnt out he's got no tongue he's got no nose and yep. so i'm not a deeply organized religious person but i am spiritual the only way to describe that particular patient was his his soul didn't know his body was dead the, the only way from med from a medical point of view so to think of 98 percent burns on a two and a half year old Again, give me some of the cliff notes on your brother's recovery because I mean that must have just been devastating for you, for right. his parents, for everyone. Yeah, it was. Um, he was, if if I'm not mistaken, they they took the ambulance and they they the ambulance went. They took him from ambulance to Interstate 94, and I believe they actually landed the helicopter right on 94. They shut down the highway, landed the helicopter lifted him to the university of Chicago. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, he was clinically dead. I believe four times in between our house and the university of Chicago. Um, so, I mean, it was, Hey, you're dead. Wait, no, you're not. Hey, you're dead. Wait, no, you're not. Hey, you're dead. Wait, no, you're not. You know? And, um, they got him to the university of Chicago and the doctors, I mean, as you could imagine, said, if he makes it through the night, it'll be a miracle. You know, I, unfortunately, we're sorry. There's not a whole lot we can do for him other than the best we can do. You know, we can do the best that we can do, but don't expect him to be here in the morning. Um, yeah. And, and what, that was 1996, I believe. So here we are, 2022. Um, and I mean, he, he's a knucklehead. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but he's still here. Um, you know, so, so yeah, there, 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 there was something, something there that, that said, no, you're not, you're not going. It's amazing. I mean, it is a miracle. It truly is. I mean, there's only way yeah. to describe it. Having seen, you know, the devastation by fire on a human body personally. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's it, it, it what it, what it does to the body to, to realize 98% of second and third degree burns, no, that it, it it's just it's not scientifically i don't know how that's possible now what about the journey he's been through i mean the the surgeries some of the deficits what's he been non-stop. left with after that non-stop surgery i mean I, I couldn't tell you i mean it's it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of surgeries uh i don't want to say thousands because i'm not for sure but if it's not it, it very well could be close um the the surgeries the skin grafts the releases you know because because as as you get skin grafts i mean obviously this that skin graft doesn't grow as you grow so you're growing and everything's stretching and everything would just pull so tight and then you'd have to go and they would release it you know it, it just open up like a big axe wound and then they throw another skin graft on there and um he didn't have a lot of places to graft skin from you know, because he a lot of his they they tried they tried the uh, I believe they grew it in a petri dish. Um, they they tried giving I don't know if it was cadaver skin, and I, I believe he rejected it. And so so they basically had to they had to uh, scavenge any little bits of skin that would actually regenerate itself. They had to scavenge off of his body that they you know the two percent that wasn't touched. Um, they had to scavenge to, to do his skin grafts. Uh, you know, so I mean, even, even still to this day, it's just, it's a rough, it's just a rough go. He, I, he has problems with his legs. He had to actually have his, 
uh, from his knee down, he had to have it amputated. Um, so now he, he's not only burned 98% of his body, he's, a, he's a, a, got a prosthetic. So um, it's been a rough go nonetheless. Well, I think it's important to hear those stories. I've got um, a friend, Ryan Parrott, who started a, a nonprofit called Sons of the Flag, and they he saw a need for the burn injured to be able to be connected with the best trauma surgeons in the planet. And so he helps veterans and first responders usually. Um, and I have one of the guys, uh, Shay Askew, who's a high-level triathlete, was really badly burned. To, to summarize, I think there were bees that came out and they were through gasoline on the bees and it hit him as well and it ignited and you can imagine the results. So um, he has prosthetic ears. And, and again, like you said, the 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 lack of mobility affects you know the way he can turn his head can he hear can he can he chew all these things so you know when we are physically and mentally preparing for a life in the fire service and setting that bar high sometimes we need to be reminded by stories like your brother of what you know those seconds may may factor into this child having a life that you just described absolutely and it's like you said seconds seconds we're not talking we're not talking minutes it's seconds you know uh I don't, I don't know what – it may still be the same. I'm not sure. But with all the synthetics and everything that are in furniture and just, just everything in the house, all the synthetics, um, the last I remembered was fire doubles every 30 seconds. So you start with a fire this big in five minutes, your room is – the whole room is gone. You know, so in another 30 seconds, that room becomes half of the house. In another 30 seconds, that half of the house becomes the whole house. You know, so you're, you're, you're not just you're not just increasing by this much every time. No, you're going from here to here to here to the whole house. You know, it, it's literally seconds, not minutes. You know, and, that, and that, that's obviously why it's just so important that we that we're constantly training and, and trying to get the heck out of the house before their house is gone. You know, get out, of, get out and get there as fast as we can. Absolutely. Well, when. In so many of these conversations, when I've asked the early life stories, you know, they're, they're more often than not in our profession are elements of trauma, whether it's, you know, seeing your brother go through what you've been through, you know, all kinds of a whole spectrum of traumas. And I think more often than not, whether consciously or subconsciously, it drives us towards certain paths. Um, when you look back, whether it was the combat sports and or firefighting, were there any elements of, of, of that incident or other parts of your childhood that you think drove you into the professions that you ended up in? Um, no, I, I mean, as far as like the fighting, the fighting side of things, um, when, I, when I graduated high school, obviously I, I wrestled and... Um, for whatever reason, outside of high school, I just kind of angry all the time. I, I just, I like, I felt like I, like I needed to fight everybody, you know, I, okay, well, this guy looked at me wrong. Fuck this guy. I'm, you know, I'm trying to fight him, you know, but I never really wanted to fight people. I just, it, it was kind of like, I need to fight you. I don't know why, but I need to fight you. <laughs> and, you know, luckily I, I never got into any real altercations, you know, I never, I never really acted on those, on those feelings. Um, so a buddy of mine who had been fighting since it was like our sophomore year in high school, you know, he was the one who actually said, Hey, you know, high school's over wrestling's over. You're not, you know, you're not wrestling in college. I, I went to like a community college here. They didn't have any wrestling team, this, that. So I didn't really, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I was working outside of the steel mills with my dad. Um, I didn't have any real idea 
of, of where I was going or what I was doing. So my buddy just said, Hey, you know what? Why, why don't you come try this? You just, just come in here and train tonight. So I went in and, and trained with him that night and uh, we put the boxing gloves on and I got busted in the nose and just leaked like a stuck pig. I mean, my shirt was complete soaked in blood and this and that. And uh, we got done training. And he goes, what do you think? I said, this is fucking awesome. I love it. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> You know, so again, it just goes back to being a different breed of people. Here I'm leaking blood all over my clothes, and I got I got to keep going, you know. Um, but to the fire service side of things, um, I never I didn't grow up aspiring to be a firefighter. Uh, even after my brother was hurt, it wasn't this is what I need to do. You know, there was no real calling. My my grandfather he was uh, he was part of a volunteer fire service. I know there's there's um, I don't know that there's professional side of it, but I know there's volunteer service in our family. My cousin's actually um, Liberty Township volunteers. Uh, they're, they're fire chief. So uh, there, there is fire service in our family. But um, again, another buddy of mine who was fighting, he got hired on in the city of Laporte Fire Department. And uh, he had said, hey, we're hiring. You know, why don't you come try out? I, oh, okay, cool. You know, so I went and tried out and, uh, you know, the more you think about it, you know, I, 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 I like to think of myself as a good person. I like to try and help people. I like to do the right, you know, what I think is the right thing. Um, try not to be a dickhead, but, uh, <laughs> it doesn't always, sometimes you have to be a dickhead, I guess. But, um, you know, it, it, the more you think about it, if I, if I could help somebody like my brother, you know, okay, they're, they're trapped in a house fire, you know, it's, if I can get to them before they have to go through what my brother went through thing, you know, thank God in 14 years of service, I haven't had to run a call like that. And I, I would be completely happy going my entire career without having to run a call like that. Um, you know, but to think that, that I, I can potentially affect someone's life by, by doing that for the better. Um, you know, it, it just, it just brings a sense of, of um, it just makes me happy. You know, it makes me happy to help people. You know, I, I want to see other people happy. I want to see other people, um, just yeah, it, it, it. I like that feeling. I like that feeling that I get knowing that that somebody is happy because of something that we did, um, or that somebody is is going to survive because of something that we did. So I try it back to making a long story or short story long. <laughs> um, I tried out for the fire department and uh, I got hired on. You know, I, I think uh, I got I got hired on and again, that was another reason why I was able to compete at such a high level of MMA was because of their schedule, you know? So, so their schedule, I, I, I had then, uh, we do a funny schedule rather than a 24, 48. It's a one-on-one off, one-on-one off, one-on-four off. So every five days we get basically a small vacation. And I, I don't know if you guys get Kelly days or furlough days or anything like that, but every 14th working day, we just basically get a free day off. So, if you, if you're on the the beginning or the tail end of your shift, you'll you'll work one off one, work one off six, or vice versa, or you'll work one off three, work one off four. Uh, so the the schedule was just perfect for for what I was doing. Um, you know, so th- there was never any real aspirations to be a firefighter until I got hired on, and it was like, man, this is this is pretty cool. I really like this. This is, this is, this is me. I could, I could see me retiring from this. 
Now, going back to what you said about the anger, because, you know, you could probably psychoanalyze that some of that was related to, you know, what happened with your brother or maybe some of the guilt that you carried initially. I have observed in myself that, you know, there's a lot of compounding elements that make us more and more or, or, or challenge my mental health as we progress through a career, sleep deprivation and so many other areas. But I was so calm and chill after Muay Thai, after Jiu-Jitsu. People would cut yep. me up and I'd be like, whatever, dude, you know, yep. just let it go. That, Whereas that, before I was like screaming at them. Um, yep. Did you find as you got into the MMA training that that focused some of that aggression and, and took it away from everyday life? A hundred percent. I mean, it, it was like almost instant. That first night, that first night, it was like, what am I, what am I mad about? You know, what, what do I have to be angry about? You know, now, now it's, it's, in order to get me riled up, you you can say, do whatever you want to me. Don't fuck with my family. You know, my boys, my wife, my, my mom, my dad, you know, don't mess with my family. You know, you mess with me all you want. I don't give a shit, but you start messing with family. Then we got issues, but, but there's no point. There's no point to be, to be upset about stupid, petty little stuff. You know, it, it's, it's, I heard something the other day and I'm probably going to butcher it really bad, but you know, somebody talking about somebody says something bad and, and, or calls you names or whatever, and you get all worked up, get fired up about it. It's, dude, these are just words. They're literally vibrations that go in this year and come out this year and how you perceive that and how you let that affect you is up to you. They're literally words. It's a vibration. So if you want to let that irritate you, that's on you. It does. It does absolutely nothing to you physically, emotionally, unless you let it, you know? So, so just why there's, there's no point in getting worked up. Well, I would argue that's probably behind why we're seeing, seeing it so easy to divide people at the moment. I mean, the last two years, and I want to get to actually a COVID topic as we get in, in a little bit further, because <laughs> uh, you had oh, a fight boy. at an interesting time with Sean O'Malley. So, um, yeah. but you know, you take, you take away physical education, you take away an environment that encourages physical education. Now you add a poor diet, you know, you add more stress to me, you know, you can't get in that relaxed phase, that post post coital or post phytal phase that you have after you you know leave the gym where you're like you know okay i've got all that shit out now and that is why i think people are so damn triggered at the moment and not everyone but but uh, but it seems to be very very easy to get people angry and i would argue it's because they physically do not have an outlet and i've talked to people in the uk we don't have that high high level of performance in most schools and college level sports we just don't unless sure. you're an elite football player or rugby player but what you'll see is longevity in sports you know, in general. So people will keep playing in their 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond. And what I see in America is this elite performance and then this massive drop off with a whole bunch of Uncle Rico stories about how you were going to be the next NFL star. <laughs> You know, I big skin over, over a quarter mile. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's a sad, you know, truth because now you don't see and when it reflects in society. I mean, it's horrible. I mean this from a place of compassion and kindness. It, it breaks my heart that we have people that were gifted this miracle, the human body, and it's being slowly broken down, which is then magnifying the stress within themselves and destroying relationships rather than building them. I. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, honestly. It's, it's, 
I think a big one is social media. I think a big one is the news outlets. I think, I, I just think the, the problem is people are too busy. They're, they're doing this, you know, they're, they're too busy doing this. They're too busy eating fast food. Like I said, diet, diet to me is a huge one. You know, I, I notice a big difference eating whole foods versus eating shit foods. You know, um, I, I read this thing about, and I, again, I don't know if there's any truth to it cause I haven't dug into it, but if you look at like TikTok, you know, TikTok's a, I believe is a Chinese owned company. So the algorithms for their TikToks, the Chinese, the Chinese children, their algorithms are other children and other people being successful and, and doing big things in life versus you look at the algorithms for, for our American children or American people, they're watching, they're watching big booty bitches shake their ass all over the, all over the screen, you know? So they're getting accustomed. Oh, I want to keep watching. That. I don't want to keep watching that. Whereas the, these, these Chinese kids that that's why they're becoming so successful is because they're watching all these people do good things. Um, and they get tied into that. I believe, you know, they get tied into that. And, okay. Well, all I got to do is be an influencer. All I got to do is take a bunch of funny videos and, you know, they're, they're making it They're It just, the, the social media and the, the media outlets are, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's not good. It's not good for, for the human to sit there eight hours a day and just do this and do this and do this and do this. Because what else are they doing? They're doing nothing productive. They're not eating right. They're not exercising. They're not, they're, they're just not getting out, you know, get out and, and get out in the sun, get out in, in, uh, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a hippy dippy, but take your shoes off and walk in the grass, you know, become grounded. You know, I, I think that's huge. I think that's huge of, of, of good diets and, and good habits. Yeah, hundred percent. Even with the grounding, I've I've trained barefoot for years within reason. Absolutely. You know, I mean, certain things like um, double unders with a wire rope that they're uh, yeah. they're better with shoes. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, overall, I'm barefoot most of the time, and I agree hundred percent. And that's what's so sad. And we'll, like I said, I'd love to visit the fighters' experience during COVID. But COVID in general, and I've talked about this all the time. And the reason why I revisit it is because the lessons weren't learned. But if you look at what was told to the average person. And you're, you're an athlete, you know, we're both tactical athletes. So we have a good understanding of exercise, nutrition, et cetera. But the average person who maybe didn't were told, stay inside. Don't be around your family and friends. You know, the gyms are closed. The beaches and parks are closed. But we'll fa we can send alcohol and fast food to your house. We got you, bro, <laughs> while you watch Tiger King. You right, know, I mean, right, you can't right. blame the average person who's not educated in this area. They weren't taught well in school. They're not taught well on television. We've created an environment that sets them up for success rather than failure. I mean, excuse me, I got that backwards. Failure rather than success. Right. If you can't see through all of those signs that you just said, here, we'll give you, we'll give you booze and fast food and you can watch these stupid shows, but don't go exercise. Don't, don't do what's healthy for you. You know, if you can't see through that, the, I'm sorry, but you got bigger problems. You know, you got bigger problems. I, I, I <laughs> um, I rode the pole 360 on the whole COVID thing. I, I, it started out as, okay, this is kind of stupid. To, uh, okay, maybe it's kind of serious. To, this is stupid. This is just dumb. You know, for some people, for some people, I get it. You know, for some people, I understand. But for those people, like you said, get out and move. Get out and move. Just, just move a little bit. Literally, go for a walk. Go for a walk outside. See how it changes everything. Every day, go for a walk. It's that simple. 
they sit here and they just sit there and then they under they, they don't understand why they're sick and why they're fat and why their back hurts and they don't understand all this stuff just go out and do something the 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 I've always been a big a big believer of the day you stop moving is the day you start dying. There's there's a hundred percent truth to that. You know, whether whether you're 30 years old or whether you're 90 years old, you know, now the 90 year old, there there may be some issues to where they can't move, but if you, if you're physically able to move and you continue to move, you're 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 just adding minutes to your life. You know, versus a 30-year-old who's just going to sit there and play video games and all 12 hours a day sitting on a video game chair and just playing video games. You know, you, you watch the, <laughs> the the South Park about about these kids playing video games. They get fat and got acne. And, oh. <laughs> that's truth. That's America. You know, that that's, that's, that is the truth. So you, you sit there and do nothing. You, your, your, body, your body just starts dying. I mean, your, your muscles literally start dying. You know, um, <laughs> I don't know what the answer to that is other than to tell people to get out and go do something. You know, you, you can tell you can tell them all day long. Oh, yeah, I know I need to do it. I need to do it. Well, you know, you need to do it. Then do it. You know, well, it's just it's hard. No, it's not. It's mental. It's mental. It's all mental. It's 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 I was uh, a buddy of mine at work. He was actually listening to a podcast of a woman who had. They, I, I believe they had just had a, uh, a kid. She was losing her job. He lost his job. It was, it was all about the COVID thing and this and that. And uh, she said she said one day she woke up just feeling like a big fat piece of shit and, and not worth anything and this and that. So she told herself, tomorrow when my alarm goes off, I'm getting up and I'm going to do something productive. And she told herself in her head, she would count down, five, four, three, two, one, and then go. And then five, four, three, two, one and go. Anytime she wanted to do something, it would be five, four, three, two, one. And it was something about te- reteaching the brain or the brain learning that as soon as it hears five, four, three, two, one, something's about to happen. We don't know what we're going to do yet, but we're going to go do something. So five, four, three, two, one, get up and go no matter what. And, and, and uh, again, I, 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 I'm really bad at retaining information. He knows it. He knows it better than I do, but, but I don't know if she's become super successful because of it and has turned her life around and they're no longer, you know, they, they can, they got a roof over their head. They can feed their kids and all this garbage, but the mental side of things of just get up and go, just get up and go, just get up and go. You tell yourself, just get up and go and go do it. Go do it. Don't tell yourself, okay, I'm going to go. And then, if you're going to tell yourself you're going to get up and go, you got to get up and go because the brain, the brain's going to think, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're just, you're crying wolf again. Get up and go and go. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's an, it's an easy, it's, it, it's easy to say, I guess. Um, if you, if, if, if you get the right mindset, it's easy to do. You just got to do it, you know, do it a few times. And, and a few times turns into a weekly thing, turns into a monthly thing, turns into a yearly things, turns into a lifelong thing. You know, it, it, it's it's not just a thing that you do for a month. It's a thing that you do for life. And that's I think that's where people get get lost. And, oh, well, if I do this for a month, I'll probably know if you do this for a life, you do it for a lifetime. You know, set set good habits, get get into good habits and continue that habit. It's consistency. Consistency is key almost everywhere. 
every almost with every aspect of life consistency is key if you're not consistent on it you're not going to keep doing it yeah i would argue as well like you, you get a lot of pushback for you know martial arts and crossfit oh it's expensive I think what people don't understand is when you walk through the door of a dojo, of an MMA gym, of a CrossFit gym, there will be an element of five, four, three, two, one. Like you just have to make it across the threshold wearing the right clothes. An hour later, you're going to look back and go, well, shit, I just worked out or I just rolled yes. or I just whatever. And that's it. So, so there are, you know, better skilled, more experienced people that will lead you through that i mean i crossfit I, I coach crossfit but i go to other people's classes and i go to my you know my jujitsu classes and because other people are better than me and mm -hmm. you know they also motivate me if i walk through a door i can't turn around and go yeah i don't want to do that you're stuck now you're there so then yeah. you know you kind of swept along by the torrent that is all the people that you're working out with some are going to be fitter and stronger some might be less fit and strong but collectively you're going to go through that together and you're going to turn around an hour later going i'm so glad i showed up today a hundred percent. I can't tell you how many times, I mean, countless, I, 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 I have a regiment of every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Those are my run days. And I, I don't like to run distances because distance to me for, for what I do, distance to me doesn't do me anything. Okay. I, I, I like my sprint intervals. I have, I have to run intervals. I, I like, I like the, the heart rate going up and down, up and down, rest and recovery, rest and recovery. So every, every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, I have a 30 minute sprint interval thing that I do on the treadmill. And I can't tell you how many times it's just been, I don't want to do this. I don't feel good. I don't, I don't go and do it, go and do it at the end of those 30 minutes. Like, okay. I'm really glad I did that. I want to keep going. You know, so then you just continue on to, you know, doing some accessory work or something. Because usually Sunday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays are a little bit lighter days for me anyways. So, okay, I'll just continue doing some uh, some some core stuff, some accessory work. Um, but the just going and doing it, just getting past that threshold. You, 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 you step into that door, into that realm of I'm going to do this, and then you do it. Whether you feel good when you do it or whether you don't, at the end of it, you're going to be glad you did it. You know, and like you said, you, you, you go into you go into these other classrooms that these people are better than you. You, 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 you get out of your comfort zone. And I think that's a lot of people's problems is they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. Well, I'm comfortable here. I've got my I've got my Snuggie on and I feel good. So what? Take it off, get naked and jump in the snow. Get uncomfortable, man. That That's that's when I was when I was training you know i still train let me say when not when i was i because i still train but when i was training for fights i would try to find that deepest darkest hole that i could find make myself uncomfortable and live there for that training session you know because if i could live uncomfortably for an hour hour and a half in this training session 15 minutes of uncomfortable is no big deal you know so so that's people they, they just they don't like to be uncomfortable they don't they don't like it Pete, sorry. <laughs> certain people, certain people, I, I feel they they embrace that. They embrace that. They take it, and, and and I feel like you can point those people out in the crowd. Absolutely. Well, an interesting perspective I'd love to get from you as well is sparring from when you first started as a young man through to, to now. I started in semi-contact. You know, it was kind of tippy tappy taekwondo. Then went to you could knock people out with your feet, but not your hands. And then, you know, then got found myself at Shootbox in L.A., which I've talked about this before. 
I actually trained with Anthony Johnson. He was running kind of new fighter back then too, and we just yeah. lost him sadly last yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, that's um, terrible. But uh, it was Fight Club hands down. I got ear perforations. I got my nose broken. You know, jaw probably dislocated again, um, and you know had headaches. And trying to go back to a shift when you're still foggy and you got black eyes, it doesn't doesn't look great. It's not a good optic. Um, Fast forward to today, I'm seeing a lot of the coaches and gyms now are pulling away from that. Oh, you can condition the brain by murdering each other to a lot more power work, a lot more light sparring and saving the real horror contact for the ring or the octagon. What was your evolution, if any, of the level of sparring through your career in the 20 years? <laughs> it, it's, I mean, you basically just said it. That was when I first started fighting, it was before it was the cool thing to do. I mean, my first fight was April of 2003. Um, so back then it was, let's, it went from let's put some headgear on and beat the shit out of each other to, yeah, let's not even worry about the headgear and beat the shit out of each other to, okay, we're, we're and that's, uh, the, the gym that I went that I go to on the north side of Chicago, New Breed, with uh, Mark Vives and Bob Hemrich, we went to a lot of offense defense type sparring. Okay, you are you are only allowed all, and they, they basically yell switch 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 offense defense. Okay, and, and you pull your punches obviously because if we're, spa we're we're sparring with small gloves and you are <laughs> throwing a hundred percent, you're going to throttle people. You know, I mean, you are they're they're going to get sparked for sure, but. Um, Knowing just basically, I, I think the thing is knowing your range, knowing your distance. Okay, I can pull my punch, but I know if I if I were to fully follow through, you're mine all day long. Um, the the body and the brain's only going to take so much damage, and that's the boat that I'm in right now. That is why my last three fights, you watch O'Malley. Okay, O'Malley sparked me, but I feel like if I fought O'Malley five six years ago. Yeah, he may have dropped me, but I don't think he would have. I don't think it would have been on. I don't think he would have starched me. Um, but then you look at Castaneda. I fought Castaneda. That dude didn't hit me hard. He hit me a lot. You know, he hit me with a lot of punches. Now, again, five years ago, I would have walked through that and smiled at him, told him, keep coming. Now, you go to, to my Stamen fight. You look at Cody Stamen. He just grazed me right on the side of the head, right? Just right in the right spot just hit me with the side of his glove. And that was enough to send me into a stupor. The body only takes so much damage. You know, you, you, you can only take so much until that button's been pushed. You know, I, I can't do a cartwheel without getting dizzy anymore. You know, now part of that is probably age. I get that. But part of that is also 20 years of sparring and getting hit and fighting and, you know, 40 plus fights and God knows how many rounds of sparring. Um, you can only take so much damage and, and when that damage is done, you either need to change your game plan and not get hit or it's time to walk out the door, you know? And, and that's, um, I said, that's, that's the, that's the boat that I'm in. Um, I can still take a decent punch depending on where it's at. <laughs> you hit, you hit me right in the right spot and it's kind of like, Whoa, hold on a minute here. So, um, the, the heavy sparring, <laughs> I don't want to say there's not a place for it because it's, it's, 
the, the way to get better at fighting, I feel, is fighting. Just like the way to get better at wrestling is wrestling. You obviously, yeah, you have to train and you have to go through the motions and you have to do this. But if you're just going through the motions, it, it may just be going through the motions when you get in there and compete. Um, I don't think you need to be knocking each other's heads off, but I think you need to know that you can you can still touch that person. Um, you know, uh, again, muscle memory. You know, your, your, your muscle memory, if, if my muscle memory is, and I'm, and I'm only throwing my punches to here, well, I'm not going to be used to fully extending, you know? Okay. 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 I got you. I got you. I got you. Well, no, you really didn't because if I can reach out and touch, I'm not throwing a hundred percent, but I still touched you. So if I know that I can touch you in my, in my distance and my space is correct. Well, I know that when I throw hard, it's going to be faster. It's going to be harder. And I still got you. Well, I think a scary thing as well, a lot of people come on here, whether they're combat, you know, martial artists or whether they're, you know, breachers or, you know, special operators, whoever they are, you have the TBI element, which is obviously what you're experiencing at the hands of another person or feet. Um, but <laughs> then the amplifying element is sleep deprivation. And a lot of people in the first responder professions don't realize how damaging that actually is. So, Absolutely. you know, I think that that's a, that's a, thing that we really need to take a step back and look at as well my goal is that we we give more rest and recovery between shifts i know you said your your schedule is pretty good but it also depends on you know the core volume too but a lot of people that work the 2448s they never get the chance to to process that so if you add you know whether it's your profession that's causing concussions or your your sport um you add that to not sleeping that's a recipe for amplified brain brain challenges in the future I agree. I, and I used to be a, a believer of, I can, I can sleep four hours and I can, I can go, 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 go. I can, I can just keep going. And not so much anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you, you see all these people talk about how, Oh, this, this millionaire, he only, he sleeps till three o'clock and he gets up and does this and does this and does this. That's bullshit, man. Absolutely not. You, you cannot, you cannot function at least highly function on three, four hours of sleep. It, it just doesn't work that way. Um, the, the, the sleep, the sleep is, is I think as important as the training, you know, it, it's, that's, that's where all, most of your recovery, I would almost venture to say all of your recovery happens, you know, because, because you, the body needs to rest and repair and, and recover. Well, when you're sleeping good, deep sleep, that's what the body is focusing on is good is, is good rest, recovery and repair. Versus I'm training, I sleep for four hours. I'm up, I'm training, I'm doing something, I'm working. I'm, the, bo the body, like I said, has no time to recover and repair. It needs, it needs that time. Um, I used to believe that, not anymore. Not anymore. I, 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 I got to have that. I, I like that rest and recovery. My body functions better. Um, again, when I first started working with my strength and training coach or strength and conditioning coach, we would get into a training session and, and he dude, just take a break. No, I can't, I can't, I, I got to fight this dude. I, I got to be ready. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, take a break. Just take a break. It, it took him probably the better part of three to five years to get me to actually learn to take a break, but you got to listen to your body. You know, you, you, you get into a good, now I'm not saying don't train when you don't feel like it, you know, cause, cause light work, light work is okay. But if, if you've got a heavy, hard day ahead of you and it's like, okay, I am not feeling this. Well, maybe you need to sit that day out. 
you know, listen to your body. And, and, and if, if you're supposed to have a hard, a hard training day or it's a sparring day or, you know, if, if it's just a hard day and your body's telling you no, that hard day is, is going to be that much harder. And then the next day is going to be even hard again because your body's not ready for it. I would take three days of training at 100% versus six at 60 you know, if, if I'm training six days at 60%, again, back to muscle memory. If I'm training 60%, that's what my body thinks. Okay, 60%. See, that's what your body's used to. If I get three days of training at 100%, not only am I getting better training, but my body knows what 100% feels like. So to, to get that rest and recovery, if your body needs a rest day, that's get, dude, jump on an Aerodyne bike just for 30 minutes, just nice and slow pace, just consistent movement. Um, take that rest when you need it You take that rest when you can get it, especially for people in our profession. Cause there's been countless nights that I can think of. Okay. The tones went off at nine o'clock. Okay. The tones went off at 11. Okay. The tones went off at three. Okay. The tones went off at five. Fuck. I'm lucky if I slept 30 minutes that night, you know, you, by the time you get back, you, you get back in bed, you do our reports, you, you sit down. Okay. Okay. Let's go again. You know, and not, not not only just the constant up, down, up, down, but what that's doing to your heart, your blood pressure. Every, every time those tones go off, boom, that's a jump. You know, your, 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 your system's getting a jolt every single time those tones go off. So getting that recovery when you can, I think, is important. Getting that rest when you can, I think, is huge. Yeah, I think we're, we're really bad at telling ourselves the fairy tale that we have all this time off. We are bad at that because if you look, take the twenty four forty eight, which I worked for a lot of my career without Kelly. Um, you know that's oh, it's one on two off. Well, a, a day is eight hours plus a you know an hour lunch to nine, so it's three days on, one day off, and it's oh, it's right. only ten days a month. No, it's if you do that equation, it's thirty days a month. You know, it's a fifty six hour work week. So when everyone else is exhausted from their forty hour office job and gone to bed you're awake working pediatric mega codes and trying to yep. pull someone out of a fire. So we're our own worst enemy with that. You know, if you're going to ask someone to do the jobs that we do, we should at least be at a 42-hour week. If not, you could argue even less. But, you know, until we change this kind of fairy tale that we talked about, which was probably amazing when we had Dalmatians and horses and steam power, you <laughs> the know. Horse, but, the horse-drawn buggies. And, yeah, yeah, but that's not 2022. So I think we have to really look at that and hearing people who are athletes in the fire service and understanding the negative mental health element of not sleeping and the negative performance element, therefore the higher level of injury. Um, sure. All those, I mean, it's it's nonsensical when you look at the whole equation, but we need the real leaders in the fire service to step up and say, look, we, we have been doing it wrong for so long. You know, I don't know what your pattern works out to be per week, how many hours, but you know, the average person, like I said, 56 hours a week, this is insane. I, I think that's what ours, what ours is based off of is a, is a 56 hour work week. Um, you know, cause there, there's, there's times when we'll work, we'll work three days out of the week. There's times when we'll work, you know, again, depending on Kelly, but we'll, we'll work one or two days out of the week. So it's all dependent. Um, but I believe that's what ours is based off of also as a 56 hour a week. Yeah. Now with, with that, were you WC champion before you became a firefighter? Have I got that right chronologically? E yes. So WEC was 2006 when I won the belt, if I'm not mistaken. 
and I fired I hired on the fire service in 2008. Okay. So as you're progressing through and you know you have this realization like oh shit I'm actually a champion of something legit. Um <laughs> you know you're you're climbing and I mean you look at the people that you fought as incredible all the you know the who's who of your division. Um when you joined the fire service as you progressed through did you notice the impact of that schedule and the job itself on your training because the reason i ask tim kennedy's been on i think three or four times now but in one of the first interviews i had with tim you know he said well look you know wasn't making excuses but he was an active duty green beret as well still performing at a high level but serving his country simultaneously so you know was there a, a, a takeaway or did you notice some sort of diminished performance because of the fact that you were also wearing a uniform? No, actually, um, uh, and again, back to Tim Kennedy, I love that dude. That dude, absolutely amazing human being. Love that guy, love everything he does. Um, but as far as like a diminishing performance, I actually think I had an increased performance because um, before that, I was working – 60 hours a week outside of a steel mill, just dirty, nasty work. So I would work from, from six 30 in the morning till four 30 in the afternoon. And then I would go lift for an hour and then I would go train for an hour and a half. So, I mean, my, my, my 10 hour day quickly became a, a 14, 16 hour day uh, of work every day. Um, you know, and I, again, I won, won a WEC title at that, but I was also young, you know, I was also young. So, as as my age increased and that schedule I, I think helped me to to maintain that level you know especially with the four days off you know you get you get a, a recovery day and then okay I'll go train hard for a couple of days I get a recovery day I go back to work um you know my, my work days I, I would work out while I was there but not as intensely uh obviously should we catch something or you know just sometimes you just need it depending on how my four days went off um, but I, I feel like that schedule actually increased, increased my performance and allowed me to continue down that path for as long as I did. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, Ron Ortiz is a high level CrossFit guy and he, he had a similar thing, but I think his dynamic at that station specifically, I think he was at a beach station. I don't think they were up all night. So it's a different dynamic sure. to some people sure. listening, sure. myself included. Um, all right. Well then I want to get to the nutrition, but just before we do, uh, I used to train with Felicia Spencer and her fight with Amanda Nunes. You were on that card against Sean O'Malley. Again, yet another phenomenal <laughs> athlete. But what was yes. interesting is you've got these people who were about to step in the cage and spit and bleed and all over each other. But at the time, they're wearing 3M masks that were probably doing absolutely nothing. But it was very much, as you said, sadly, deeper into this COVID thing. It was more the visuals, the optics than actual medical science with you know fitted n95s etc etc so what was that experience for you as an mma fighter during covid uh, and then we'll take that one ufc for an example <laughs> well they're all wearing their masks you, you, i mean you could probably uh venture to guess what my what my stance on the whole covid thing is if you watch our weigh-ins i had the mask and that's people you're supposed to wear it around your nose to be effective really come on anyways um it was weird it was really weird. And um, when they, when they, when they said that they're going to continue fights, but it's going to be the fighters in their corners. I mean, that was, that was strange to me. You know, it's, it's like, it, it's kind of like the old school Brazilian days, you know, okay. Our best fighter from our gym and your best fighter from your gym, we're going to meet here 
and we're going to fight. We're going to see who's got the best fighter and who's got the best gym. You know, it, it, that's almost exactly what it was. It, it was so creepy. I mean, you could hear every smack, every, I mean, especially on the TV. You know, you really got to hear what it's like to actually be in there. You could hear the corners clearly. You could hear the smacks clearly. Um, just a, a, a strange, eerie type of realism. You know, this is this is as raw as it gets. You don't have the crowd screaming. This is this is a fist fight. This is what a fist fight sounds like. If you've ever wondered what it's like when leather cracks skin, here you go. Um, it was it was it was um, an interesting experience. Now, just with that as well, you have this 20-year career. I mean, you were fighting early, early on WC, then UFC, and then for this high level, you've been a champion WC. You're fighting phenomenal athletes um, all the way through your UFC career as well. I see a lot of people struggle when they transition out of a profession that they have identified with and you know obviously we're invested in that career some people transition flawlessly but some people if you watch for example the documentary the weight of gold or you know you look at some of your fellow firefighters i'm sure you know you're on the back door now you're not that thing anymore and and some people struggle with that identity with that purpose with that that loss of tribe was when you know what was it that made you finally pull the trigger on retiring and then what was that transition out where you went from being in the cage to obviously still being immersed in the community, but not being under the spotlights anymore. So I, I feel like my transition is the former, the flawlessly, everything is just like, everything's in the right place at the right time. I have, I have two small boys, uh, six and eight years old. Uh, both of them are wrestling. I coach their wrestling team. Um, you know, I, I coached their wrestling team last year. Uh, it, it was a little bit harder. I, I, I made most of their practices, um, but you know, when you're training and you have your own thing going on, the unfortunate thing for them is dad's training is a little more important than a six-year-old wrestling's training, you know, because dad's training is what's going to make the house payment and this and that. Um, but as far as like, like getting out of it, I, I think I'm happier now than I've been in a long time, in a long time. Um, I can focus on my boys. I can focus on their wrestling team. I can focus, not that I wasn't focused on the fire department, but I, I have a, a captain. Um, he, he was the former assistant chief. Now he's back down to captain, but he would always give me shit about the fighting and this thing. He goes, well, when are you going to quit that fighting and you can focus more on your part-time job? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> So I, I guess, you know, I'm at a point now where I can focus more on my part-time job. You know, not that I, again, I was never not focused on it because if you're not focused on a job like firefighting, I mean, the consequences are real. You're not coming home. Um, you know, so, so everything's just kind of in the right place at the right time. Dad's ride's over. My boy's ride is just beginning, you know, what should, should it be, whatever they want to do. Um, you know, but as far as coaching the wrestling team and if dad doesn't make it to the gym for his training session, well, there's really no consequences for it. You know, I, I don't, I don't have to worry about, am I in good enough shape to fight another elite athlete? I just need to worry about, am I in good enough shape to fight your average everyday American, which oh, <laughs> that's not very hard to do, you know, per what we've already talked about. Um, you know, the, the transition is, I, I'm in a good place, you know, mentally, physically, 
I, I just, I feel more healthy. I feel more, more sane. I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about my training as much as I am or as much as I used to, you know, and, and, and as far as the decision to walk away that night, the night that I retired, I didn't know I was going to retire. It was in the back of my head. I know a lot of people gave DC a lot of shit for, oh, why didn't you give Eddie the mic, blah, 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 blah. He was taking his gloves off. I wasn't taking my gloves off because I was ready to retire. If he would have handed me the mic and be like, oh, okay, here we go. Let's do it. Do what, man? What, what are you talking about? I'm just taking my gloves off because here we are. Um, you know, so it, it – I remember going into that fight – before be, before I actually signed to fight, I would go to the gym and I had fun. It was fine. Okay, I want to be here. This is great. I'm having fun. No big deal. As soon as I signed that line, hey, okay, we're going to fight in June. And the next day I showed up to the gym like, this fucking sucks. I don't want to be here. <laughs> so it just it wasn't fun. You know, and I, I think that's a lot of, even like Cowboy said, you know, a lot of his reasons, that, that that's my reason. You know, that, that was, we, we've been in it for a long time. It just, it wasn't fun anymore. When you have to do it, it's not fun. When you want to do it and just because you want to be there, it's a blast. Um, so, you know, that, that night I, I sat down and talked to Sean Shelby and I, you know, basically I told him, or he, he said, dude, you need to retire. It's time to retire. So, well, you know, well, I goes, dude, no, you need, you need to retire. You need to retire. I said, Sean, okay. We've had this discussion before. If you're ever thinking about cutting me, just let me know so I can retire. I said, so if you tell me right now that if I don't retire, you're going to cut me, then okay. He goes, what don't you fucking get? You are retired. I, I specifically remember him looking at me. What don't you fucking get? You are retired. Okay, Sean, I'm retired. We're done. You know, and, and that moment right then and there when I said, okay, I'm okay, I'm good. I'm done. It was like, just everything released. Just a okay. I I I am done. I've I probably should have done it a little while back, but we always hold on too long, you know. Especially in that sport. And that's I even told him in the locker room. My thought was okay. Let's let's get this fight done and over with. Let's go win this fight. Let's walk away. We're done. And he looked at me and he goes, "No, you wouldn't. Absolutely not. If you would have won that fight, you would have been begging me for when's my next one." And he's probably right. He, he, he's probably almost 100% right. Because even though I had it set in my mind, let's go win this fight and walk away on a win, he said 2% of people walk away on top. You know, and, and those 2% of people, unfortunately, I'm not in that 2%. And that's fine. Um, like I said, I'm just I'm in a good place physically and mentally now. So it, it's uh, I can focus uh, my boys, my wife, my my part-time career <laughs> no, um, like you say it, it's I, I, again right place right time um, I'm up for a promotion in January so I'll be getting promoted to a captain's spot there's a spot in the dive team opening up in the springtime so I can I can focus more time on that so um, right place right time well it's so important to hear your perspective obviously you're talking about fighting specifically but I've seen this in some people in the fire service too People stay 20, 25, 30 years because their pension tells them that you need to stay 20, 25, or 30 years. That doesn't mean that's the actual shelf life of your career, depending on the department. I end up transitioning out for a totally 
separate reason. I, I found myself ultimately, after working at what I would argue one of the best fire departments in the States, working for one of the worst fire departments in the States. Sure. And after five years of making changes, you know, the universe was like, listen, dipshit, I don't know how to make this any clearer. <laughs> you need to go do this podcast thing because you're not going to change it here. And so that was my transition out. But what used to break my heart was seeing firefighters or cops or whoever else with an app on their phone that count you down. Oh, only another nine years, you know, three months, yeah. and 27 days. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. You need to either change departments or maybe it's just time. You don't have to stay because a pension tells you to. That's 10, you know, whatever many years of your life that you could be doing something that you absolutely love instead. Yeah, if, you, if you're counting it down, if you and again, if you've made it to your, okay, my last year, okay, I'm retiring. Now, okay, now you got your ticker. Now you got your, I get that. But if you've got your ticker 10 years prior, yeah, <laughs> those 10 years, they're probably going to go by fairly slow. Um, when it's time, it's time and you need to know and you, and you need to walk away. Um, I don't know when I'll walk away. I couldn't tell you. I'm not thinking about it. it it's one of those, like you said, if you start counting down the days and those days are five, 10 years down the road, you're already too late. Um, you know, now the, the thing that, that our department has is that you can sign into what they call a drop where they'll freeze your pension for the last three years. And then basically when you walk away, they give you that check for your, your last three years of your pension. So you get a giant check, but your pension is frozen. So your pension doesn't grow anymore. Um, so I, I, I can understand counting down the last three years, at least on our department, because I'm signed into the pension. I'm retiring in three years. I've already set, you know, the, the wheels are in motion. This is happening. Um, but any more than that, I, 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 you're just not enjoying it anymore. You know, if you're okay, okay, I can't wait. Now, don't get me wrong. I, when I get to work, there's days when it's like, okay, I just can't wait to get home. You know, that's just that's just human nature. I like I like my family. I like my boys. I love my wife. Um, I like being home. I'm a homebody. You know, so I know there's some people that they they gotta. I just gotta get away. I still, Give me five minutes. You know, there's times when my boys are driving me up the wall. It's like, oh, what does come on? I get five minutes down the road. I, okay, I'm going. I can't wait to go to work. Can't wait to go to work. I get five minutes down the road. It's like, okay, I'll go back. I can go back now. I just need a five minute reset. Um, so you know, counting down, counting down that many years is. I think that's too much. That's too much. It's time to, like you said, go do something else. Go do something else. Find find something. Um, now. If you're counting down five years and you're five years, because 20 years and um, until we're vested into a pension, I don't know, I, I would assume it's probably the same for you guys. Um, but if you're counting down five years and then in five years, I've got my 20, I'm going to go do something else. So, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword there. You know, if you're, if you're counting down, if you've already got your 20 and you're counting down another five or 10 years, just go out the door. But it, it, if, at 20, you want to walk out and go do something else, and you've got 15, 16 years in. Okay, let's let's we can count down the last couple of years. So, knowing when knowing knowing when it's time is a big thing. Because if you if you're if you're not happy there and you're not doing, or you're not focused on that job again, that job could potentially be yours or somebody else's life. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's it. If your heart isn't in it, you know, and you're unhappy, then 
no amount of money is worth that. And then, like you said, that pays back the other way. If you're not dedicated to the profession, you might become a liability, which will cost you know your own life, one of your partner's lives, or someone that we're supposed to be responding to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, staying on the longevity um, for one moment as well, I heard you touch on um, a pretty powerful story that steered your kind of journey when it came to your own nutrition. So I'd love to just kind of hear your perspective on that because there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's all kinds of shit going on, the liver king spouting and you know, all these fucking <laughs> idiots that we hear on, on online. And there's a lot of anti-plant-based, vegan, vegetarian rhetoric too. To me, everyone has to explore and find their own nutritional path, but I find that the whole food is usually the kind of true north. So, so yes. what was the story that that kind of you know the personal story that steered you towards that different you know that change in direction nutritionally? So, nutritionally, dude, I didn't start eating greens until I was probably twenty six years old, and and at twenty six it was green beans, canned green beans at that. Oh, I'll, I'll try green beans. Hey, not too bad, you know. So green beans stemmed into okay, maybe I better eat a little bit better, and it, it started. When I was when I first started fighting, it was pizza and McDonald's. I could eat whatever I want because twenty-two-year-old man, your your metabolism is just on fire. So I turned twenty-six and metabolism's changed a little bit. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm gaining a little bit of weight I don't want to gain. So I started eating a little bit better. Notice as I started eating better, I started feeling better. Okay, well, we'll get rid of this and we'll add this. So I change things, feel a little bit better. Get rid of this, add this, change things, feel a little bit better. Um you know, about five, six years ago, maybe, maybe even eight years ago. I don't know about the early thirties. Um, I, I went from in camp, I would eat clean and I would eat good. What I, what I would call good now looking back now probably wasn't super good and I still don't eat super good. But, um, back then I, I would eat clean while I was in camp and it would take me all six to eight weeks of camp to get down to my, my weight where I needed to be. You know, I, I like to, I like to train around 149 to 151, somewhere's in there. Um, and then after camp, I just, I would go nuts pizza every day. I bags full of Reese's and just fall off the rails. Um, I think I jumped up as the, the highest I've ever been was 163, 164, which I know some of these, you look at Al Jermaine, he's all 176. How the, fuck did you do that man how do you go from 136 to 176 in a week how did that work um so i i quickly realized that that all of this work trying to get down to a training weight just to you know it takes me six weeks to get down to my training weight well after those six weeks then it's just a, a recover repair and, and keep things sharp get down to fight weight and fight so I quit doing the, the binging off the rails and I just, I started my, my fight diet and everybody says diet. Well, your diet should just be in what you eat every day. You know, I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to try that diet. I'm going to try this diet. Fuck the diet fads, man. Just eat good food. You know? So I, I started doing that and I, and I quickly noticed that my weight wasn't shooting up. My weight stayed outside of camp. I was maybe 154, maybe 155. And then to get back down to 151, it was just just doing doing away with pizza once a week. You know, so that's, that's just a family thing. I think a lot of families do the Friday pizza night, you know, so we would do pizza once a week. And, and outside of that, I'd eat fairly clean. And and it was, I mean, my weight was right back down to where I needed to be in, in training camp. 
Um, I tried the whole, I tried the keto thing, which again, if you, if you're a keto advocate, I'm sorry, but fuck keto. Um, especially for, for an endurance athlete, maybe, but, but for somebody, a high intensity athlete, no, it didn't work. I felt fantastic for about the first two weeks and then went, just felt like garbage. Um, I tried the plant-based thing, uh, plant-based with eggs. You know, I, I would eat, I would eat eggs and, um, I actually felt pretty good. I did that for about six months and then I don't know if I was getting sick uh, or if it was just the lack of meat or I, I don't know what it was. I just was, was feeling off one day. I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to have a burger. I got to have, I'm going to try some meat and then went back onto, onto the mostly plant-based, but, but a little bit of meat. And I'm still, I'm still in, in limbo with the plant-based versus omnivore versus, you know, the, the, that, that type of dieting. But I, I think it's like you said, I, I think everybody is different. So this person could eat a hundred percent vegan and do fantastic, be great on it. But somebody else eats it and they're, they're iron deficient and anemic. And, you know, they got all these issues. Um, this guy, could, I, I think straight carnivore, I don't think there's enough evidence on that long-term to justify eating straight carnivore. I, I think you're lacking sufficient nutrients in, in your plants and vegetables. Um, you know, I, I, I was listening to a podcast. Um, gosh, dang it. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't remember who it was, but it was basically, it was, it was a, a carnivore diet advocate. He's a doctor. Um, if you said his name, I would know him. You may even know who he is. I don't know, but I was listening to a podcast of this guy debating plant-based versus carnivore and the plant-based guy said, well, you know, there's, there's no long-term studies on straight carnivore diet. A, it hasn't been around long enough and B they're not, they're not doing these years and years and years long studies. He goes, well, what about this study? They, they studied this many peoples and it was eight weeks and Bali goes, eight weeks. You just said it eight weeks. That's not a long-term study, you know? So I feel like you can benefit by doing it short term, but in the long term, I don't, I don't think it's going to be sufficient. I, I, I believe it was Chris Cresser. I don't know if you, if you've ever listened to anything he talks about, um, he talked about him and him uh, might have been Huberman Andrew Huberman might have mentioned something about basically a two thirds plants and veggies and meat, you know, good, good, good meats, you know, and that's the thing I wall. this, this burger that no good plant bay or not plant uh, grass fed beef, you know, and again, I get it, but that's expensive. Not everybody can do that, but I think the two thirds fruits and veggies and then the other, the other, Third being from meats, whether it be beef, whether it be uh, liver, whether it be chicken, you know, just just I think there's nutrients in all of the food that your body needs um, that you need to take in. And again, people are different. So the two thirds may work for you, may work for you, may work for you, but it's not going to work for you. You know, so it's a matter of trying things and seeing how you feel and and taking it from there. Well, and again, back to that environment, you know, I, I had the exact same experience with you at six months on plant-based, which I felt amazing, had the best poos, saved a whole bunch of money on toilet paper. <laughs> um, it was incredible, but I felt, and again, it might have just been, I, I was fighting something off at that time, but I felt there was, there was at that six months, there was a diminished strength, a diminished energy. 
Um, and so then I introduced meat. And I think that when you look at, you know, some of these things, I mean, the carnivore, I struggle to understand because prehistorically, we're not good at catching animals. So I don't know how the hell we're supposed to be designed to eat meat all the time. Um, yes. And then the same with, with plant-based. I mean, I think that we were probably, if you look way, way back, we were probably scavengers. We probably were sucking out, you know, bone bone marrow and eating. Well, you know. it's, it's, if, if you look at our digestive tract and our teeth, Okay, we, yeah, we have we have sharp teeth, but we also have grinder teeth. You know, I I, I believe like, like you like you said, and I think it was the Game Changers um, documentary that I watched with with uh, um, James Wilkes. Yes, Wilkes. I think yes. Um, talking about our digestive tract, he said, if you look at the digestive tract of a carnivore, it's this long. If you look at the the digestive tract of a of an herbivore or omnivore or whatever, it's this long because there's, there's so much other stuff going on there that you need to break down. Um, we, we have, we, we have this, this digestive tract. We don't have that digestive tract. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what is right for everybody, but I, I feel like, I feel like the, again, the two thirds whole foods, you know, and anything that's, that's, if it, if it took any kind of processing to make it, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right for us. No, well, I think you hit the word on the head. What I've seen are the commonalities between the carnival diet, though I take it back, some of the people I see that are very pro-carnivore eating it in and out all the time, which I don't think is clean meat. <laughs> but that aside, removing that bad example, you know, whether it's vegetarian, vegan, you know, a lot of these, there is a common denominator. And I had James on the show because I was nauseated by, I think it was Chris Chrisser on um Joe Rogan's, and they were just demonizing yes. veganism. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, you wasted six hours just trying to prove a point that you're not going to win because not everyone's the same. But where you all agree is you remove processed shitty food. That's where it all aligns. So if you choose your right fix for you, and that is the common denominator, you're probably going to see amazing results. A hundred percent. It's it's whole foods, non-processed shit. Um, and again, back I watched I watched the Cresser the Cresser and Wilkes while they were, they were debating back and forth on, on Rogan. And it, it's funny because I feel like they don't feel any different. I feel, I feel like they feel the same, but Wilkes, <laughs> he was at his throat because he was attacking his documentary, which I understand that. But uh, I mean, he did, he did a really good job. I think of defending all of his, all of his research and everything he did. I think he did a very good job and, and basically hit the nail on the head. Um, but again, at the end of the day, as much as they were at each other's throats, why well, I, I say at each other's throats, Chris, Chris, I don't think really ever was at his throat, but James was, was just pound and pound and pound. And I feel like they feel the same. It's like, okay, you guys are on the same, exactly. the same team here. You're on yeah. the same team here. <laughs> what, what are we throwing punches for? So, but again, it, it was because Cresser, I, I think was, was trying to debunk his, his film. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the problem is they looked at it at absolutes. And the, I've what saddened me is, again, that was six hours. As you said, they could have come together. And I actually had James on before he went back on Joe's show, so I had to hold off releasing it until it went out <laughs> so I didn't give away any secrets. Um, right. But, you know, again, it's you could have spent six hours 
saying, okay, well, you know, you you say this and, you know, that that may not be entirely true. You know, in the, in the documentary, there's kind of absolute there. But I see what you're saying about increased fiber and multi-nutrient and all this thing. Well, yeah, and I see what you're saying about carnivore. I disagree, but I understand. And they could yeah. have brought all this information to the people. But I have never seen, I mean, we, we hold debates on this pedestal. I've never seen a debate where someone's won. Oh, you know what? I've totally changed my mind now. Now you two shout at each other for, for three hours. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and totally change my life. No, it's absolute bullshit. It's an ego competition where they're massaging each other. Um, and it's fucking boring to watch and you take away nothing. So figure out where you actually align and talk about that instead. Yeah, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to watch and it's hard to listen when so far right and so far left and they're, they're trying to find that middle there just there is no middle ground because and again back to back to the internet the media the, the social media stuff I, I i feel is a lot at fault here because if i want to find an article that tells me that sky is green i can find it there's there's information on right and there's information on left depending on how you want to feel and how you want to believe you can find that information out there. Well, this says this. Okay, I get that. Well, this says this. Okay, I get that. But what about this? But what? Else? Okay, so obviously we are not going to meet in the middle here. Let's just cut our ties and go our separate ways. Rather than sitting here and, and sounding like a bunch of children, let's just, well, okay, this is the way you feel. This is the way I feel. See you later. Yeah. You said it's blue. I said it's green. But can we both agree that we want it to be clean so our children don't get horrendous respiratory diseases? Boom. Bingo. There's your common alley. Bingo. 100%. 100%. Beautiful. All right. Well, I want to transition to Mustache Mafia quickly before we go to some closing questions. So you're wearing <laughs> the shirt. Obviously, we're in yeah. a profession where the mustache is revered. So talk yep. to me about the origin of that and, and how people can get the products. So <laughs> the mustache, my mustache, um, I grew my first one. Boy, I couldn't even tell you how long ago it was, but uh, you know, just just as a joke, oh, we're gonna we're all gonna grow handlebar mustaches. Okay, so we all grew them, and all right, shave it off. It just it, I don't like dealing with it anymore. Um, the origin of the mustache for me stems back to my dad, and I, I, I'll I'll never remember or I'll never forget. He was talking about going to the barber, and he's at the barber, and the barber's cutting his hair, cutting his hair. Next thing you know, he switches to his mustache. My dad right now, he's, he's a giant beard, but he's always had a mustache. Sometimes he shaves the beard off, but always had a mustache for as long as I can remember. And this barber switches from the hair and goes to the mustache, and he starts – he didn't shave it off, but starts trimming it above his lip. Oh, he fucking flipped out. <laughs> he said, what are you doing? He flipped Oh, I'm just trimming your mustache up. I didn't tell you to touch my mustache. This mustache is older than you are. Blah, 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 blah. So, well, so, you know, and, and that, it, uh, it kind of stemmed from there. Um, you know, he, he's always had a mustache his entire, not his entire life, but since he could grow a mustache, he's had one probably since middle school, who knows? Um, but I, I had one going. And then when we had our first, our first born Jack in 2014, I, uh, I told her, okay, when, when we have our kid, I'll, cause she hates, she hates it. She still hates it to this day. Um, <laughs> so, okay, I'll go shave it off. So I went and shaved it off and let it go, let it go, let it go. Finally, a couple of years later, I grew it back. And I think it was like 2019. I grew it back and, uh, just for giggles. I, I had, cause I, I had shirts made before, but not of this type. Um, so 
I went and had shirts made and I said, you know what? Just for giggles, I'm going to send off for a trademark. And I sent off for a trademark on the Mustache Mafia and uh, it actually came back. It got accepted. So <laughs> there's a trademark on Mustache Mafia. So the unfortunate part for her is she's stuck with it now. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a thing. And I'm not as far as getting product. I have I do have products, but I am not very diligent at upkeeping or I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a social media marketing or I, I never really marketed myself. Um, I don't really market this. I need to, like I said, I have, I have stuff for sale, but um, it's I, my, my Instagram's official mustache mafia. And uh, again, I, I kind of started it because it was back to the whole pussification of everything going on. Like this is stupid, man grow a mustache, be a man. You've got balls and testosterone. Let's fucking act like it. Um, it just, it's just irritating to me to see, to see the way that, that the, the young men in America act, you know, <laughs> it's, it's um, a, a friend of ours who, who used to put on fights. She, she, she said it best. It's just unapologetically ma- uh, masculine. You know, I, it's just, it's, it's all things manly. You know, if you're in hunting, if you're into fishing, you don't, you don't necessarily have to have a mustache to, to be in the mustache mafia or support the mustache mafia, just support man shit. You know, uh, even for women, it's, I, I did the very first podcast or, uh, interview I did after the mustache mafia. So you don't, you don't even have to be a man. Just if you're a woman and you enjoy mustache rights to get on in. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I don't care if you, if you don't like it, you don't, you don't have to look at my stuff. You know, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't like, I don't like dancing around things. And well, well, what if they don't like this? What if they don't like that? I don't care. You don't like it. Don't buy it. You don't like it. Don't look at it. You don't like it. Don't listen to me. I don't care whether you like me or whether you don't, I don't care. It's no, it makes no difference to me. I'm not going to lose any sleep if I've got, a million people that say, oh, this guy's, he's a, he's just a fucking, he's a, he's a sexist. He's this, he's that. No, I'm not. I'm not against women. I'm not against women's rights. I, be, I believe, I believe that men should be men. Well, it's interesting because the, the word toxic masculinity, you know, is thrown around a lot. I think that best describes the, the false masculinity that, I mean, you're about 10 years younger than me, that, but our generation roughly was sold when we were young. The boys don't cry, rub some dirt in it, you know, revering these bodybuilders when you actually realize that, no, if you watch the Band of Brothers, the real men that speak in each of those episodes, they're in tears because what they did for this country and the people they lost and the the memories they brought home can crush a man, you know, but the, the, the other side is obviously that you become a protector in your community. And I totally get the projecting on a young girl that you need to wear a dress and like dolls is also not a healthy thing because there are, you know, young women that can do mm-hmm. a full spectrum of quote unquote man shit. But yeah. so that's where I think that the talk, the, the kind of faux masculinity conversation is really dangerous. And I think it's swung so far the other way, as you said, that people are scared to talk about manliness yep. at all is yep. actually where we need to be talking about the dangers of, of masculinity is all these men, men, you know, in this particular case, that are fucking sticking guns in their mouth because they believed in this fairy tale of what a man is supposed to be. And a man is supposed to be strong, as is a woman, but also kind and compassionate. And there's no better example of that than a firefighter. We do manly or womenly stuff when we're wearing the uniform that 
has to have courage and you know um, be well prepared for but we also have to process the horrible shit that we see and understand that it was kindness and compassion that drove us to ever put a uniform on in the first place absolutely i mean, I mean it, it's like you said it, it you, you have to be able to deal with that and, and the unfortunate side of it is a lot of people like to they, they they just hang on to it they hang on to that they don't let it go until it's it's too late you know and, and it, it's the unfortunate side of that is like you said they're they're sticking guns in their mouths they're they're hanging themselves from rafters they're you know it's 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 okay to express your feelings that's fine you know you you, you still are a man because of, of the actions that you do just just because just because you you are are distraught by something that you saw doesn't make you any less of, of what you are. So, um, yeah, but that, that's, like I said, it, it's back to, I, I feel like the, the, the media and the social media I feel is, is number one culprit here. Yeah. Well, I heard, I forget who it was now, but someone was saying that a lot of this is also coming from, from colleges and universities. And this is not, you know, something I've visibly seen with my own eyes. This is secondhand information, but it makes sense. You know, we know how many people are experts in certain fields that have never actually done the job. They've gone from, you know, being a student to being a professor. And they're, don't get me wrong, are phenomenal people in education. But with this, you know, pendulum shift the other way, this cancel culture is actually stopping communication, which is not only, um, what's the right word, uh, discouraging conversations on obesity, on, you know, combat and all these things that make our country healthier, healthier and safer, but they're also discouraging communications for children, men and women to be able to talk about how they're really feeling and therefore seek help, you know, seek tribalism, seek community. And it's very, very dangerous conversation or they lack are, thereof. They are. Yes, they are. They are vilifying, like you said, the 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 conversations of what's right, what's wrong. No, it, apparently everything is right now. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do this. You can be this. You can be that. You can do this. You can do that. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's that's not. And it, it's if you if you speak that this is wrong or this is the right way or that's the right way or this is the wrong way. Well, you're just an asshole now. You're just, you know, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm telling you what is the truth and that I'm not afraid to say what's the truth. That's the problem is people, they don't like hearing the truth and they don't want to accept the truth. I've got a captain at the firehouse. Um, I remember when this, this new guy he hired on and uh, he got sent out to the east side of town, which is where we were at. And he went back to the downtown station and he told our battalion chief, he said, man, please don't send me out east anymore. He's just, he's just kind of mean. So he got brought into the office. He say, uh, you know, I said, you're kind of being a little bit of an asshole. Goes, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, all I require is that you're there and you do your job. I am equally an asshole to everybody. And, and, and it's, it's when he says I'm equally an asshole, he, he's, he's just telling them the truth. He's telling them how he feels. He's up front. He, he, he tells you what he sees. This is what I expect. This is what you're doing. People don't like to hear that. People don't like to hear the truth and, and, and people don't like to hear what other people see or think of them. Well, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You know, that that's that I would rather you come straight to me and say, Hey, fuckhead, quit being an idiot. Okay. Well, how am I being an idiot? Tell me how I'm being an idiot. 
you know, if, if I am indeed being stupid or doing something dumb, well, then let, we need to address that. You know, where, whereas if somebody, you, you, you come to somebody else and, hey, you're being stupid, you're doing something dumb. Like, oh, my God, he's so mean. He told me I'm being stupid. No, I, I, I'm telling you that you're being stupid because you're going to you're, you're either going to get somebody hurt or I'm sorry, you're just stupid. You know, so it's it's you, people don't accept the truth. They don't accept the truth. They don't like being told the truth. And, and and for them, it's it's people just being assholes and you're not allowed to do that. Why not? Yeah. Well, I think especially in the fire service, you know, we've got to maintain those standards, you know, and I've seen that, you know, in, in I've talked about this a lot, even in our unions and certain you know departments across the country, they will oppose fitness standards. Well, you can't, that's not fair. You know, you're trying to get rid of everyone. No, not trying to get rid of anyone. If, if you found yourself deconditioned, there should be a, one two-year on-ramp program to get you back to where you were absolutely but if you're offended by being required to physically perform in a job where your people's lives are in your hands then you're in the wrong profession i'm sorry but this is a you know this is not accounting and no disrespect to any accountants out there but if an accountant screws up you know you 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 mess up someone's bank balance or they pay too much on their taxes if we screw up you know as with your brother you know, we go in to potentially rescue a little two-year-old who's about to get burned and we fuck up and now he has the life that he has. So, you know, you can't have that hypersensitivity in some of these professions where lives are at stake. You just can't. But you can also, you know, but you can also act professionally towards each other and not be a complete a-hole either. Absolutely. And as, as like you said, it, it's, you need to be physically able to complete your tasks, you know, and, and, and I feel, I feel like, the fire service needs to, I mean, they, they need, they need to hold them to that standard. You know, you are here to do a physical job and potentially save somebody's life, maybe even your own, you know, how that's not enough motivation alone to keep you in physical in, in any kind of physical form. I don't know, because if I know potentially it could be me not coming out of there because of my lack of physical fitness, I, I'm not okay with that. So I, I feel like uh, I feel like the physical side of things really needs to be upheld. Absolutely. Well, Eddie, for people listening, you mentioned about the um, the Mustache Mafia site. Where else can they find you online? Um, again, uh, Instagram is just Eddie Wineland. Um, I, I, I think it's still got the blue check mark. I don't know. That's how you know you got the right one. Um, yeah. So so between that and my Mustache Mafia page, that's where most of my most of my stuff is posted. Brilliant. Well, I want to thank you so much. It's been such an interesting conversation. I, I I truly feel like of all the sports, MMA probably closest uh, is the closest replica of the demands of the fire service just because you can't say, oh, I'm going to be running 100 meters in a straight line or I'm going to be catching a ball, you know, the, the diverse. Know. Exactly. So to hear your journey, not only into the martial arts, you know, your, your brother's tragic story as well, but your service in the fire service. I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Absolutely. Anytime, James. I've enjoyed it. Anytime. Anytime.